You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braven. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about the recently presented poster about HPV reactivation when switching HIV medications. Welcome again, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Happy to be here again to uh, talk about this topic. So, John, can you first provide a little bit of background on two drug regimens and HPV coverage? Yeah, so... I think uh, that this is an important piece to, to kind of talk about these two drug regimen switches, you know, that, that we often switch from there. Are, people are often switched off of TDF or, or TAPS. So to know if you're containing regimens, there's some special concerns when you're switching off of those regimens because there, there's no really good hepatitis B activity with drugs that or with combinations that don't involve TDF or, or TAF in, in the regimen um, from an HIV, HIV standpoint. So the bottom line is you really have to be careful in, these, in patients who have hepatitis B infection with HIV at the same time. So Hep B, HIV, co-infected patients. And some examples of these are, you know, some of these switches that we make. One of them is a classic one, which is, uh, you know, uh, going from dolutegravir ropivirine or, you know, dolutegravir lamivudine. So that those are classic switches that sometimes we do. Some of these, some of these nuke sparing regimens that don't include TAF or TDF, for example, darunavir, cobi, and dolutegravir, or cabropivirine is another one. So that's the injectable one, Mariana. So the cabropivirine switch is another classic one where you don't have any any TDF or or TAF in in the, in the injectable regimen. And then there's another one too called you know with dolutegravir and daravirine. And there's others out there, but basically any of these switches or any of the initiation of therapy in somebody who has hepatitis B. And you're not using TDF or TAF can sometimes be uh, be of concern and, and can be dangerous if somebody has hepatitis B uh, in, infection. So a couple of things. Uh, so the concern about this is that these two drug regimens, as they become more and more popular, and again, especially with the injectables, it's important that really providers be aware of the potential for hepatitis B flares. So basically, what happens, Mariana, because you don't have the TDF or the TAF. In the in the new regimen, and you have a, a two drug regimen without TDF or TAF, you can potentially run the risk of hepatitis B flares in those patients who have who have active hepatitis B if they don't have TAF or FTC or TDF for the treatment of hepatitis B. So when we're switching these regimens and discontinuing hepatitis B active antiretroviral therapy, which is antiretroviral therapy is treating the HIV, but it's also treating the hepatitis B at the same time. This can lead to hepatitis B reactivation and flares and there, there is a, always a potential for for potential for these flares being really serious, leading to either transplant. Some patients can die. Um, 
if it's left unattended. Well, clearly you have to be aware of hepatitis B status before you before you make these switches to these to these some of these two drug uh, regimens that are out there. Got it. Now, what can you tell us about the poster that was presented from Mount Sinai? Yeah, so this was recent, recently reported at the DDW uh, conference a, a few months ago, but there was a, a recent case series, and I think this is one of the few places where I don't know, I'll cover it at the end, really provide some guidance on, on what to do. Um, but this was a recent case series and really a management discussion for switches to non-hepatitis B active therapy for, for HIV. Now, this was uh, presented by... Um, uh, 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 Vasishta, uh, that's the, the main author. And it's also, uh, Doug Dietrich and G uh, Dr. Aberg. Uh, this is all from the, uh, division of, uh, of, of ID at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. And then, um, also the division of gastroenterology. So this is, uh, all from Mount Sinai. It's a really, really major center in New York that really does a lot of this, a lot of this work. Uh, but these cases highlight some of the key aspects of people who either have hepatitis B and meds that are stopped or people who reactivate their hepatitis B uh, or those who get infected while on meds that, that, that don't cover hepatitis B. So essentially, if you go back and look at the, look at the poster, there's basically four cases that are, that are really of, of significance. And um, I'm going to cover the four cases in, in the next couple of minutes. So case one, this was a patient who had been stable on, um, on an old regimen of, of nevirapine, fosamprenivir, ritonavir, plus 3TC, um, who was requesting a simplified regimen who had, um, um, and at this, at this point, he, he did not have hepatitis B, but he was switched to dolutegavir bupivirine. But then, however, unfortunately, he got infected with hepatitis B when he was just on dolutegavir bupivirine. So again, dolutegavir bupivirine doesn't have TDF or TAF, and there's no not going to be any hepatitis B activity. So he gets infected with hepatitis B. He was surface antigen positive and core antibody positive. And then this hepatitis B uh, DNA peaked at around one point. 2 million roughly, and an ALT of 570. And then they added um, TDF and FTC to the regimen and the patient had a complete recovery. So one example here is where somebody's not infected with hepatitis B, they're on medic, then they get switched, then they're on medications that don't cover hep B. And then while they're out on those meds, they get infected with hepatitis B, and then they have to actually add the TDF or FTC or TAF FTC to the regimen. And that, that's one example. Now this person happened to do well, had a complete recovery, and you can look at you can look at all the all the data that's in the in the poster and they actually do very well. So that's one scenario. The second case highlights somebody who is surface antigen negative, core antibody positive, surface antibody negative. So so again, when you think of surface antibody being negative, this person's unvaccinated, but they clearly were exposed because the core antibody was positive, but the surface antigen was negative. So you would think that they should actually be okay. Um, um, they were vaccinated, which you would do because their their surface antibody was negative. And then, um, uh, and then CAB uh, plus, um, uh, uh, and then uh, was on TDF-FTC plus adazanivir ritonavir. So what happened here is this patient was actually changed to a nuke-sparing regimen of dolutegavir plus darunavir-ritonavir, and then the hepatitis B flared, DNA, DNA peaked at 141 million, um, ALT 150, uh, and then basically was changed over to to BF-TAF, so Bictegavir plus TAF-FTC, and had a full clinical recovery. So in this setting, this person actually was probably had had an old infection who was core antibody positive and for some reason winds up reactivating um, um, when they were switched to a non-TDF-FTC-containing regimen, and then they have to add the TDF-FTC back, back to the regimen. So again, another example. Um, case three, this was a uh, surface antigen 
core antibody and surface antibody all negative. So then this person had no evidence of infection, was not vaccinated. Um, and uh, then, so obviously, because the surface antibody was negative, they were vaccinated with three doses. And then they were surface antibody positive on, on TAF-FTC ropivirine. This person actually got changed to Dutegavir plus Darunavir retinavir, again, another nuke-sparing regimen. Uh, and then the surface antigen uh, turned out to be positive. Hepatitis B virus DNA peaked at 380 million. ALT 2640 had a high melt score. Uh, they were changed to um, to, to TAF-FTC, Duravirine, Dutegavir, um, and wound up actually with a liver tra transplant evaluation because of the MELD score and eventually had clinical recovery. So this is another example where, again, you know, gets vaccinated, but still winds up having um, uh, the, uh, a surface antigen positive positivity. And then they get switched to a, um, and then while they're on a, um, a nuke sparing regimen, and then they wind up getting getting hepatitis B. So again, that's case three. So case four, these, these are the ones I think that are scarier, the case four. Um, this is a person who was surface antigen positive, core antibody positive, uh, and surface antibody negative uh, with a hepatitis DNA uh, was undetectable while they're on TAF, FTC, darunavir, ritonavir, dutegavir. So again, they're on a boosted PI plus an integrase plus two nukes, and then wanted to simplify their regimen. So they get changed to dutegavir plus opivirine. Makes sense, right? That's pretty easy to do. Uh, it's a single tablet regimen just with two pills, but again, has no TAF or FTC. So uh, surface antigen was still positive, um, core and surface antibody negative, they, and then they got changed to this dutegavir-pivirine, and sure enough, they actually have a have a hepatitis B flare, and their DNA peaked at 25 million, ALT of 680, MELD of 36. This patient, um, you know, uh, we did require a liver transplant. So this is one of those examples where, you know, uh, we make these changes into some of these simplified regimens, and, then, and this is an example where somebody was on a kind of a two-drug nuke-sparing regimen like the other ones, but this one required a liver transplant. So this is probably one of the worst case scenarios besides patients that could potentially pass from this happening. So so, the, so what this all means basically is that we just gotta be really careful with these patients, right? And these are four cases I think, which highlight four different scenarios that are each a little bit different, um, but it really kind of speaks to the fact that you could potentially have some of these hepatitis B flares in these patients if you're not cautious. So, John, what does this all mean for HIV care providers? Yeah, so complex, right? This 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 poster is complex when you read it. You really kind of have to think about your, your surface antibody, surface antigen, core antibody. You know, there's that classic chart that we often look at to see if somebody's been, you know, acutely affected or they, you know, chronic infection, infection from the past, et cetera. But I think what it all means is I think we need to be really cautious with some of these two-drug regimens. And I am I'm certainly a fan of simplifying therapy, right? And some of these two-drug regimens, especially these injectables, this cabopiburine has made a big difference for some patients. But we have to make sure that um, if they don't have hepatitis B, they're fine. But really to, to make sure we're assessing hepatitis B or reassessing it when making these switches, whether it means we're going back into the chart and looking through other old serologies, well, but if the serologies are not found in the chart or the patient has an extended history, it's possible that that they may may have actually had a positive, uh, you know, a surface antigen at some point that was positive in, in the past. Um, and especially if they're on a TAF or TDF containing regimen, you're going to switch them off. It highlights the, the, the importance of basically making sure that the surface antigen is negative uh, and hopefully they don't get reactivated. And again, if they had a positive and now they're negative, if you take away that TAF-FTC, they may reactivate, uh, but also highlights the importance of ensuring people are fully vaccinated and are surface antibody positive. Um, now, that all depends on, you know, again, where you are. In the United States, most of our patients are vaccinated, but 
if you're living in a place where there where there's patients from outside of the United States, that vaccination may not be as as a as much of a guarantee. So the authors, I think, really provide some really great guidance, and I, I think these are really experts. The people we're talking about around this poster are now these are the, these are top notch people that are doing HIV and hepatitis C work. So some recommendations. First of all, reevaluate hepatitis B serologies before switching to a non hepatitis B active ARV therapy, even if they even if you have prior immunity. And that may be overkill, but I think we have to draw the hep B serologies before we switch people to these nuke sparing regimens or these regimens that involve, um, you know, that are not going to involve TDF or FTC just to make sure that patients do not have uh, active hepatitis B. Um, re, uh, active surveillance of hepatitis B re reactivation after discontinuation of hepatitis B active air therapy. So making sure they're rechecking serologies, making sure we're checking AST and ALT. Making sure we're checking all, all the things that we need to check if, if they are switched. And I think maintenance, maintaining, uh, number three, is maintaining the hepatitis B active therapy in patients who are at risk for acute or reactive hepatitis B, including those core antibody reactivity, suboptimal vaccine response, or ongoing hepatitis B exposures. And then I think number four is maintaining, maintaining the hepatitis B active therapy, um, hepatitis B, V, HPV, DNA surveillance, and hep CC, HCC surveillance. Um, via ultrasound and AFP measurements every six months in persons with chronic Hep B. So they provide some really nice recommendations in those four recommendations I just made, um, you know, based on, on the poster and based on what they've seen at, in their center and some of the cases that were presented in the poster. So I think a really good, um, I guess, you know, um, quasi-guideline, I guess, on some level, uh, just recommendations on what to do with these patients. Uh, you know, when you're, if you're worried about hepatitis B in somebody and you're going to switch them to a non-TDF or non-TAF continuing regimen, what you should be looking for. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about some of the highlights regarding HBV reactivation in certain care settings. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.necaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.